It's true that some things change as we get older. But if you're a woman over 40 and you're dealing with insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, and weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. And with MIDI Health, you can get help and stop pushing through it alone. The experts at MIDI understand that all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes that happen around menopause. And MIDI can help you feel more like yourself again. Many healthcare providers aren't trained to treat or even recognize menopause symptoms. MIDI clinicians are menopause experts. They're dedicated to providing safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions for dozens of hormonal symptoms, not just hot flashes. Most importantly, they're covered by insurance. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. You deserve to feel great. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. Amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen, Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups, it's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. Jay Dyer from Jay's Analysis. You know, there's a lot of videos now going around that a lot of people have asked me about. Different ones. One with this sort of uh, shaggy-haired guitar-y guy talking about why he didn't become orthodox. And the arguments were so bad that they almost don't deserve refutation or attention. But because the video got so many views, I want to respond to that and other videos right now. Now, before I launch into this discussion, I, I do want to recommend a couple books that will help a lot of people. Uh, they might be a little bit difficult, but <clears throat> but I assure you that if you love theology, you will definitely benefit from these books, and you'll start to see how this stuff all works together. The first is The Cosmic Mystery of Jesus Christ by St. Maximus the Confessor, and what this will do is open your eyes to the universal recapitulation doctrine of orthodoxy, which is the idea that Christ's incarnation is not just for the elect, it's not just for the mystical body, and in fact, it, it affects the universe as a whole. This is why in Romans 8, Paul can talk about the cosmic scope of Christ's redemption. Now, that doesn't mean that it leads to universalism or universal salvation. In fact, St. Maximus covers that uh, very question in his works as well. But that's not what we're dealing with today. The other work is the idea of the, <clears throat> um, the, the Roman Catholic doctrines of grace, which essentially end up being uh, Augustinian or Thomistic, and they essentially relate to created grace. Uh, that's the, the uh, final position that, according to the Catholic Encyclopedia, uh, both Trent uh, in its Doctrines of Justification and Vatican I in its reaffirmations, uh, affirms the doctrine of created grace. That means that you don't participate in the actual divine energies or life of God. In this life, uh, you only get created forms or stamps of the divine grace. Well, that's actually what the Arians taught. Uh, and what, when you read the Disputation with Pyrrhus, this is a crucial work. It's not that long you'll start to understand why you can't have proper Christology uh, or or uh, you can't have proper doctrines of grace without proper Christology. Because the idea of uh, the divine person, in, uh, of the Logos, taking on human nature and thus deifying uh, the humanity that he assumed, and then because the humanity that, that he assumed is universal human nature, that's the basis for all men being resurrected. You won't understand that until you start to understand the teachings of St. Maximus. And this is why we can't believe 
the dogmatic affirmations of Roman Catholicism. Now, the first idea that I want to put forward that shows the significant difference between, for example, Roman Catholicism and Orthodoxy is the question of the direct knowledge of God, the direct experience of God, the face-to-face experience of God. And we're going to see that this is a central aspect to biblical theology. It runs from especially what we see in Moses and the theophany experiences in the Old Testament into the New Testament and the way Paul describes the experience of Christ and the Logos in the New Testament. So in the Old Testament, we know that many times the angel of the Lord, these theophanies, would appear. Now, these theophanies are profuse in Genesis, in Exodus, as we'll see, Judges, right? Many times throughout the scriptures, these angel of the Lord or the messenger, uh, or we would say it's Christ himself, is, is appearing. And for Roman Catholic theology, and particularly the first person to question this is St. Augustine, right? So St. Augustine and his... Uh, on the Trinity in book three specifically, he begins to question the idea that God can appear directly because if God's an absolutely simple essence, then it must be an angel. So he interprets the word angel for the first time, uh, along with rabbinical exegetes, as meaning a created form. Now for us, it is always the Logos. For us, the church fathers are pretty consistent in the East and the West in saying that this is a theophany. This is God himself manifesting. But the question, of course, is how is it possible for God to manifest if he's an absolutely simple essence? This is the the question that plagued Augustine in his book. Uh, And for us, this this question has already been answered by the fact that there's a real distinction between the essence of God and the persons of God. The nature and person distinction, which St. John Damascus says, is the root of all heretics. All heretics go wrong in that they tend towards Arianism or some form of modalism because they collapse nature into person. As a result of collapsing nature into person, or absolutely simple divine essence, as it's uh, absolute divine simplicity, as it's often called, it also collapses action into the essence. When you collapse action into essence, what you end up with is the impossibility of of really participating in God. Now, in the recent responses, the responses were so bad that they didn't even understand what our position on theosis is. There are countless uh, Western saints who talk about participating in the life of God, real theosis. Now, real theosis can't happen if the grace that we're given is created. St. Athanasius, when he's arguing against the Arians, makes this very point. He says, our salvation is not real if what we're given is just another creaturely form. If, if the Savior is a creature, he doesn't save us. And by extension, he makes that same argument uh, about the Spirit. The Spirit can't regenerate us if he's a creature. And likewise, what we're given in salvation can't give us immortality if it's merely another creation. Because immortal immortality, uh, eternal life, according to John 17, 1 through 3, 4, 5, is very clearly the very life of God. Is the life of God created? No. Is the eternal light that God manifests, his radiant glory, created? No, of course not. Right. So on Mount Tabor, when Jesus manifests the divine light of God, is it created? Obviously not. But for Roman Catholic theology, this has been problematic. And that's why they will always say it is a created light. But it's not a created light. It's the very light of God. And they say, well, how, how is this sensible? Well, as St. Gregory Palamas says, it's sensible because God gave man a noose, right? That is the eye of the soul. Not the third eye, I'm joking. But uh, it, it is essentially the, the eye of the soul that is a faculty uh, in addition to this, the intellect and the heart. 
And so when intellect and heart are working in harmony, that is when the noose is functioning properly. So for us, that is what Paul means by praying in the spirit. This is why Paul speaks of body, soul, and noose, right? He mentions these, these, this tripartite aspect of man. Roman Catholic theology, since the time of Augustine into the Middle Ages, has always held to a dichotomy of man. That's because they intentionally lost the teaching of the noose. So they don't believe that it's even possible to have a direct knowledge of God through one's noose. Isn't that fascinating? So we have a different theology centered around the question of whether the, the nature distinct the, the nature person distinction is real, uh, based around absolute divine simplicity. And if you read my article about Roman Catholic absolute divine simplicity, I show you what the Roman Catholic dogma is. It doesn't matter what Thomas's debates are about it. We can talk about that. But what matters in Roman Catholic theology is what's dogmatic, and it's explicitly dogmatic that these distinctions are notional and not real. And in fact, what I'm saying is that Roman Catholic theology contradicts itself on this, right? So it leads to modalism, it leads to perennialism, as I've argued many times. So why the Roman Catholic Church in our day is essentially just a perennialist, Masonic operation. That's why it teaches ecumenism and syncretism, because the absolute divine simplicity that they taught for the last millennia and a half leads to it. And why is that? Because only created forms are what we know of God. We don't know God directly, right? This is why Roman Catholic theology does not believe in a direct perception uh, by the noose of the light of God, of the divine energies, and participating in the divine energies. They only believe in a participation of other created forms of grace. This is what St. Gregory of Palamas told Barleum would lead to atheism. And that's exactly what happened in the West. That's why the, the atheistic Roman Catholic Church has clown masses uh, and it participates in voodoo rites and Hindu rites because it's all the same manifestation of just ambiguous, interchangeable terms and uh, symbols for God. But that's not what orthodoxy says. Orthodoxy says, no, God is specifically revealed as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and there are no other gods. The Logos, Christ, is the only Son of God. And if you read Exodus, for example, 32... We have the present, or excuse me, 33. When, when Moses ascends to Mount Sinai, he sees the Lord, and it's we're told that Moses spoke to Christ the Lord there, the angel of the Lord is Christ, face to face. How did Moses speak to the Lord face to face if the beatific vision is the only time in which we have a direct perception of God? But the text clearly says that Moses spoke to God face to face in Exodus 33. Now, when we come to the New Testament, what do we see as the norm for the experience of the believer? Moses. Moses speaking face to face is the pattern by which the New Testament will be a reality. The New Testament reality is that we see Christ face to face. When Moses came down from the mountain, he had to put a veil over his face, right? This is what Paul says in 2 Corinthians. And the veil represents the created forms that stood in the way of direct perception of God. Now, that doesn't mean that creatures or creations are bad. It just simply means that now that Christ has become incarnate, it's not just a creature or a man that we experience, some human person. No, Christ is not a human person. He's only a divine person. That's Nestorianism to say that he's a human person. Uh, the direct perception of God means that we, we perceive Christ and know Christ face, face to face in reality. As Paul says in 2 Corinthians 3. We have such hope because unlike Moses, who put a veil over his face because the children of Israel couldn't look at him because he was reflecting the radiant glory and eternal glory of God, right? The eternal glory of God is not created. 
why can't you figure that out, Roman Catholics? It's not that hard to, to understand that God's immortality, his eternal light that he dwells in, the ineffable glory, is not created. And so these manifestations of God are not created holograms. They're not angels. They're God himself. They're the divine energies of God, the glory of God radiating from him. Now it goes on to say that until this day, the veil remains over the reading of the Old Testament uh, when the Jews read the Old Testament because the, they do not understand the person of the Spirit. They've lost and don't have the presence of the direct relationship between the Holy Spirit and themselves. This is unfortunately what's happened to Roman Catholicism. This is why Roman Catholicism sees the Holy Spirit, generally speaking, as the function uh, between the Father and the Son. No, he's a fully divine person. Now, I realize Roman Catholics will also say that they uh, believe the Holy Spirit is a divine person. But in their filioquous doctrine, and because of absolute divine simplicity, they actually collapse the personhood and the real experience, the direct individual experience of the believer uh, of the Spirit, into the essence of God, and they thus relativize the Holy Spirit. This is explained uh, excellently at the end of Father Staniloy's Orthodox Dogmatics, Volume 1. Paul very clearly says that the reality of seeing Christ face to face is the the norm for the experience in the New Testament. It's not after death, it's here and now. This is why Paul constantly uses throughout his epistles that already not yet language. We're already resurrected, but not yet fully. We're already experiencing the glory of God, but not fully, right? Uh, we've been given the spirit as a down payment because our bodies are still going to die, but we look forward to the resurrection, right? The down payment has been given even in the sense of all of creation participating in that cosmic liturgy of everything being renovated, as he says in Romans 8. Romans 8 says that all of creation will be restored. This is that cosmic aspect to Christ's uh, incarnation, which means, uh, in the language of the early church fathers, recapitulation. This is used in 1 Corinthians 15, it's used in Colossians 1, and it's used in Ephesians for Christ to be the new man, the new Adam, by which all creation is to be remade and restored. That means the extent of the incarnation is universal. It's cosmic. It's not just the elect that Christ died for, which leads to Nestorianism, which leads to the idea that, well, well Christ actually does not extend his grace to all men. Uh, it's not all human nature that he assumed, even though all the church fathers and the early church councils that deal with Christology say explicitly that he assumed universal human nature, by which that's how the, we're all resurrected, because he's, his uh, grace extends thus to all human nature and raises human nature because that's why he conquered death, right? For all of human nature, and we all possess that nature. That's why the wicked are resurrected. There's no other reason for the wicked to be resurrected. Uh, and this is a problem, actually, in Western theology because Western theology does not hold that Christ uh, assumed all of universal human nature. They believe that he only basically died for the elect. Now, this is why in, in Western medieval Latin theology, especially after Augustine and into the Carolinian period, you have the idea of two bodies. You have the juridical body of the church, and you have the mystical body of the church. So there's this sort of uh, external juridical uh, Sanhedrin of like the cardinals or whatever. And then there's this mystical body, which is all of the, the people participating in the Eucharist. Uh, and this becomes basically two types of co competing conceptions of theology in the West. But they're both based around mistakes uh, about the nature of the church. The church is the extension of the incarnation because it participates in all those same divine energies that Christ established at the get-go. Today is the Feast of Pentecost, and the Feast of Pentecost is the coming of the Holy Spirit upon the whole church. 
there's no person lacking in the presence of the potential presence, at least, of the Holy Spirit. Of course, we can move away from God, certainly. But uh, the reality is that that's to all people. That's why we don't ban infants from pedo communion, right? Now, so all of this basically speaks to two completely different approaches to God and two completely different conceptions of what it is to experience the grace of God. The Arians taught that grace was created because Christ was created. Roman Catholicism teaches explicitly in Vatican uh both Vatican I and the Council of Trent, that the grace that's given in justification is created grace. But created grace is a heresy, right? Because it's the same teaching as the Arians. No, the the, the experience of divinity that we have uh, is the real energies of God. That's why Peter can say it's a partaking of the divine nature. Now, do we participate in the essence of God? No, we participate in the energies of God. This is why Paul says, again in Corinthians, that we all participate in the Spirit, but the Spirit gives different gifts. And he, he the word he uses there is energeia, right? So the, the Spirit imparts different workings or energies to different people in the church for different ministrations. So the reality is that the, the praying in the Spirit is the praying in the noose. The, praying, the, the, the different gifts of the Spirit are the energies of the Spirit by which we participate. Paul uses the word energeia in the Greek in the New Testament. Uh, so this really shouldn't be debated. And this is the norm of the, the, the ecumenical councils. The ecumenical councils teach that the divine energies deified the humanity of Christ in the incarnation. This is taught at Ephesus. It's taught at, taught at Constantinople. It's taught at the uh, second council of Constantinople and at the third council of Constantinople as well, where you have the, the Pope's letter uh, to the council even admitting that the... Uh, energies of Christ, which are proper to both his divinity and his humanity, two separate energies because there's two natural wills in Christ, that these uh, are never contrary or, or fighting one another in tension. They're always in harmony because the divinity raises the humanity in Christ through theosis. And that's exactly what we experience. So all these idiots out there teaching you that there's no theosis are teaching Arianism. And that's what specifically what St. Gregory of Palamas told to Barlam, that your Western doctrine of absolute simplicity and created grace will lead the entire West into atheism. And that's exactly what happened. So don't fall for these liars who are giving you a false gospel that leads you to Arianism. No wonder the Roman Catholic Church has dogmatically affirmed uh, both uh, syncretism and apostasy and the participation in pagan and demonic rites is because they've lost and don't have the correct teaching of the Holy Spirit. That's why they have the filioque. Amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen, Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups, it's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. Spin your passion into a business with Shopify and break sales records with the world's best converting checkout. Let's hear that one more time. The world's best converting checkout. Shopify's legendary checkout makes it easier for customers to shop on your website, across social media, and everywhere in between. Now that's music to your ears. Any way you spin it, you can be a smash hit with Shopify. Start your dollar a month trial today at shopify.com slash records.